Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, I'm SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual chat, also known as a conversation, with hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, joy, and enthusiasm of podcasting. And once the stream is over, I'm going to take the recorded files and turn it into a podcast because that's what us podcasters do. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better. That's why we have the name, Better Podcasting. I want to give a big thank you to Chris Jonesy-Jones from the Cantina Cast for joining me in the previous chat. As a reminder, you can check out Jonesy on the Cantina Cast, which can be found at cantinacast.com. For the next few moments, I'm going to talk about my hobby and passion, which is space. There wasn't too much activity over the holidays, but since the holidays were over, there's now a lot of activity. Over on NASA on Monday, February 6th, they conducted an emergency astronaut extraction in the water using their Vehicle Advanced Demonstrator for Emergency Rescue, or VADR, also known as VADR, and the capsule is indeed nicknamed Darth Vader. This continues NASA's preparations for the Artemis II mission in May of 2024, and then Artemis III sometime in 2025. Over on the SpaceX side of the house, they have had an active start of 2023 with their Starship program. SpaceX conducted a successful wet dress rehearsal of Booster 7 and Ship 24 on Monday, January 23rd, 2023. This was the first time the biggest rocket ever was fully fueled with its liquid oxygen and liquid methane propellant. The test brought the rocket right up to the point of starting the engines before concluding and depressing the tanks without firing the 33 rocket engines. The orbital launch pad in Boca Chica continues to get operationalized for launch to include the addition of a water deluge system that was moved from Kennedy Space Center adding a protective cladding to the lower walkway under the Starship and testing the quick disconnect system. On Thursday, February 9th, SpaceX conducted a static fire of 31 out of the 33 rocket engines. What a sight it was. In my other podcast activity on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., it started off 2023 by bringing our coverage of X-Men the Animated Series to a close, and we'll soon cover the newest Marvel Cinematic Universe film, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, in a few weeks. The Better Podcasting main show completed Season 2 and is currently on hiatus, waiting to return in April 2023. Better Podcasting live chat began its second season in the meantime, and Stephen and I are having a blast testing out audio gear and commenting on the podcasting space as we always do. And in a last-minute surprise, I've joined the host of Strange New Worlds FanCast to cover the Star Trek Picard third and final season. Interestingly to note, one of the co-hosts, Shannon, just suffered a major stroke and aneurysm on December 24th and just returned back to the microphone just a few days ago. We're all happy to welcome Shannon back to podcasting as, quite frankly, it's nothing short of a miracle that she is still with us and able to function. You can hear her story on Strange New Worlds FanCast, Episode 11. Now, in the past few weeks, actually a few months, I've had an ongoing issue with my Rodecaster Pro 2 sound pads. They were firing off for no reason whatsoever, including in the middle of a recording. Eventually, I contacted Rode a couple weeks ago. They approved a return authorization of the unit, and they shipped me out a replacement. I used it for a show last week, and it seemed to be working okay. We'll see if it works fine for this show. I do have some things to say about how to import and export the show profiles on the Roadcaster Pro 2. So listen to the next Better Podcasting live chat number 44 tomorrow for additional information. Now for the next hour, I'm chatting with Manifest Brutality host Alexander Dahl. Alexander started interviewing underground musicians in mid-2020 and has since published over 180 episodes. Alexander wants to connect musicians to their fans through his podcast, as well as to help them share their stories. Welcome to the chat, Alex. Hello, thanks for having me. It's 
Good to have you on board, Alex. And it is awesome to have you in the middle of a giant snowstorm. It is, yes. It's day one of of three that are expected. And I'm totally missing it. I'm totally jealous. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm wearing my Minnesota shirt in uh, solidarity of you, but I am not in Minnesota. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. What does manifest brutality mean to you? Sure. So uh, the original manifest brutality concept is kind of stemmed out of um, the Drake equation, which essentially is, you know, how they figure how much life exists in the galaxy or in the universe as a total. Uh, one of the components of the Drake equation kind of talks about the expectation of humanity destroying itself. And so manifest brutality is the inherent warning of the Drake equation that if we don't start to take ourselves more seriously, work together, develop more sustainable technologies, we are doomed to destroy ourselves. And so it is more of an altruistic warning because I believe that we can pull together, we can make it happen. It's just we're we're dealing with so many circumstances in, in our lives and in the world that we very well could just destroy ourselves and then just be off the surface of the planet and not continue our civilization. <laughs> so that's what the concept of manifest brutality kind of stemmed out of. So a lot of the content that I create for it kind of revolves around that central focus. So manifest brutality is more of like the creative space that I write under for like music and writing and art and things like that. I release a lot under there. Uh, but I also release my podcast series on there since the focus of manifest brutality of how I create with it is music. The podcast is focused on working with other musicians. So the idea behind it was to kind of reach out to underground musicians and give them a platform to begin to talk about themselves, to sell their personality, to find their fans, to connect from one person to another, because one of the things that I kind of promote on my channel is this idea of oversaturation in the music industry. A lot of musicians and bands find oversaturation to be a negative thing because they think there's just too much music. Nobody can ever listen to all of it. And the truth behind that is the fact that oversaturation is actually a good thing in the industry because it allows the listener, the consumer of music to find musicians that they relate to personally that they have a personal connection to and so they can support somebody that they actually have that connection to rather than you know being force-fed this stream of music from the top 40 that you listen to that you're you know forced into listening to in the radio and car when you're you know at the grocery store so that was kind of the basis of why i started doing my podcast and looking for no-name, quote-unquote, musicians that are doing it for the love of music, making music, or in some instances, not making music, but just playing music or playing an instrument. So that's who I focus on. Those are the people that I try to find. I now wish we were in a bar on Grand Avenue in St. Paul or something like that, because you just opened so many doors for me to go down. It's incredible. (laughs) So we could talk about Kepler 444 and what that means to the Drake equation. We can talk to the Mayan civilization also with the Drake equation. We can talk about how the concept of oversaturation applies to podcasting. We probably will. But the musicians industry, the music industry is the focus of your show. And I really like what you're trying to do is to try to connect people to the bands because I would think in an oversaturated music environment, it's very much like podcasting where discovery is really the key. Yes. It's kind of just like exactly with podcasting. The way to get your name out there is to go on other podcasts, to guests on other podcasts. It's the same with music. When you're out playing a a show, you want to get on a bill that has a similar fan base of what your target audience is. And it sucks to put things in such like industry marketing terms like that. But that is music is a product that the listener is going to consume. They're going to connect to it. It's a lot of marketing. It's a lot of targeted audience because that's what it has to be these days. Because 
if you want to establish a fan base, you need to know how your music will connect with people. So what have you taken from that philosophy with your own podcast? So I kind of approach my podcast very kind of differently where I'm a bit of an introvert. I don't really like doing blasting on social media. I'm not into over like uh, self-promotion or anything like that. So when I do my podcast, I obviously, you know, I post it to uh, as many social media channels that I have under the Manifest Vitality name, but I don't do any blatant advertising. I'm not out there begging for subscriptions or likes or anything like that. I put it out there. I want the person that I'm interviewing to be able to sell their personality well enough as to where all of that gaming the algorithm doesn't matter. I, I want the, the personality of the person to come out. Okay. Just be yourself and you'll connect with people as you go along. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Was Manifest Brutality your first podcast? No, actually, it wasn't. So many years ago, a friend of mine started a podcast called Never Zero. And this was a long time ago, like 10 or so years ago. And the Never Zero podcast went on, did maybe two years of recording. And at some point, I had to step away from it. And then I started doing just little bits for it where I would record uh, a little research piece and then I would send them over to the producer and have him just put them into the episodes. But that was the first podcast that I ever started. So Never Zero is like Coke Zero? Yeah. I never really knew what the name... I didn't didn't create it or name it or anything. I just was a a co-host on it. So I guess I never really found out where the name actually came from (laughs) well how did you come up with the name manifest brutality they kind of just came out of nowhere honestly i was laying in bed thinking about all of that conceptual stuff that i explained and it just kind of fit it's obviously a sort of playoff manifest destiny and it just seemed like one of those things where it was lightning in a bottle where it just hit me and that's just what I, I do. It's what I am. So what inspired you to start the podcast then? So I listen to a lot of um, YouTube podcasts and things like that while I'm working. And back when I started it, before I started it, I listened to a lot of like music-related stuff, obviously. And I started to notice that a lot of the music-related podcasts out there, they're either exploring a popular song or trying to book the most popular name that they can or you know, review a popular album, anything that's you know, in that high-end circuit of the music industry. They're trying to promote that to help promote themselves kind of thing. And... In true nature of how I operate, I just kind of went the opposite direction. And I said, I want to find the people that are just out there on the street playing your local bar or, you know, just doing it for the love of music, recording in their bedroom, and then putting music out through the internet, things like that. So I've interviewed people from a lady that plays piano at old folks' homes. It hasn't released any music online just goes to old folks home plays piano two people that are out there touring the nation or the world i interviewed a composer in germany a couple years ago and it's things like that where i just put out the request for what i'm doing what the purpose of it is and then just let them approach me and part of the way that i kind of figure out who I will book and who I'm going to interview, it gets weeded out in that process. Because when I put out that posting looking for guests, it's only the people that are serious about actually wanting to tell their story that actually follow through. So by nature of people flaking out on themselves or on me or on my post, it weeds out the people that actually want to talk about it. 
So when you're scheduling or booking, what is your no-show rate? Probably about 5%. So what I'll do, and the way that I book my interviews is I'll put out a post on social media and basically say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm looking for. If you're interested, send me a message. That will get a lot of interaction. Like A lot of people will like it and drop uh, links to their music and things like that. But I only respond to the people that actually follow the instructions and message me. (laughs) And if they message me, I have uh, some canned responses, which can come across as a bit kind of in a gray area of seeming scammy. But it's really the easiest way to do it is just have the canned message. So I send those messages and then out of maybe, we'll say 50 and just for the easy math. About 50 responses from there, maybe about 40 of them will actually continue the conversation and book an interview. If they get booked and make it that far, they usually do the interview. After that, it's probably only maybe two in a wave uh, that drop out or don't make the interview or have to reschedule for some reason. And then I do them in waves. So I have those 40 people. I'll do an interview every day two on the weekend days. And then once I have all of those done about halfway through that, I'll start releasing them. And then once all of them have been released, I'll take a couple months off and then come back to it a couple months. So I don't get burned out doing it. Does the time off really help you recuperate and re-energize? Yeah, I think so. So I finished my last wave on January 31st and now we're approaching the end of February. I mean, I already feel kind of the bug to like put out the post, like start booking people again, but I'll still probably wait until closer to April. Where do you post? So I post on my YouTube channel, which is also linked to my official artist page. So I have all of the interviews and everything uh, listed up there and then music on the bottom. Cause I don't want, I don't want there to be the perception that I'm doing this to drive plays to my music. So I, I highlight the interviews first. And then I post on Facebook, on my Reddit page. And then I have a Patreon that, again, I don't promote my Patreon too often because, again, I don't want it to seem like that is part of the end goal for it. I I really want to emphasize that it is about the people that I'm interviewing. So all these guests are coming from your existing community or followers. Not necessarily. So I do follow a bunch of musician pages on Facebook. So when I'm doing booking, I will kind of do some selective targeting. I always include Minneapolis and St. Paul because that's where I'm from. So I like to represent. And then I'll, depending upon what, you know, the past couple of waves have been, I'll target like New York and get New York musicians or I'll target Nashville and try to get some country musicians or Florida, I'll try to get some uh, musicians from down there or Los Angeles. I think the only area that I haven't targeted yet is probably like the Southwest so far, like uh, Arizona or New Mexico. I don't think I've I've done them yet. So I'll probably get around to them soon as well. Well, you're going to have to hurry up real quick because, you know, the big drought down there is going to dry up the population (laughs) down there. They're going to be forced to move other places. And that, that, well, then I can just post other places and say, hey, does anybody ever lived in Arizona? And what was Arizona? Have you ever tried to target somebody that was displaced via Katrina? That would be similar. No, I suppose I haven't. I mean, at this point, anybody that was displaced by Katrina would have had that happen to them a decade before I even started my podcast. Right. Okay. What excites you the most about podcasting? So originally, I wouldn't have been able to answer that question, but now I do. I have an answer for that. And it's essentially the satisfaction that comes from helping promote an artist because they, for the most part, are very grateful for the opportunity to have a platform to talk about themselves, to be able to tell their story. And that in itself is kind of the reward for it is listening to somebody be able to tell their story. Cause there's been several interviews I've done where 
they're an older person that's, you know, they're just from a different generation that doesn't do the social media stuff or something like that. I found them on Craigslist or something like that. Some obscure, not regular social media thing where I posted, they saw it and they're just like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to tell my story kind of thing after 40 years of being out playing in the more rural areas kind of thing. Those people are very interesting to talk to and they're very grateful to have a platform like that because in a lot of instances, those people kind of feel like they've already been written off and forgotten. Have you done any polka musicians? I don't know. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> it's hard to say because interviewing musicians like that, they'll tend to always kind of promote what they find to be their most marketable material. So if they have done polka or are involved in a polka band, they may not have brought it up because they didn't think it was marketable. You need to take a drive after this storm three or four hours north. You'll find plenty of polka musicians up there in the <laughs> sure. Iron Range, northern Minnesota, in the Arrowhead up there. Have you ever been in a line at Cub Foods or begging your groceries or something like that and got a conversation with somebody about your podcast and found out that they were a musician that you ultimately had it on the show or anything like that? Not exactly. I play in a band and so I get out there and I, I meet mus- a lot of musicians and none of them I've really had on my show because they either find it to be something not worth their time because it is somewhat of a small show in the terms that it doesn't have a large following or they don't think I'm serious, which I am because I do, I've done over 150 of these, like you mentioned. So it's not really like that. And I'm not entirely sure that if that situation were to happen to me, I would even pursue booking it uh, simply because there's that whole aspect of socializing where when you're in face, you'll say a lot of things just to get out of the conversation. Whereas in social media or even in a forum like this, you're kind of held to the fire where you have to represent, you have to step up and actually do what you're going to say. So that's part of the, the built-in way that I weed out those people that are just going to flake off anyway, is I'm not going to chase you down. If you want to do it, I will schedule you and we'll do an interview, but you actually have to follow through. I guess I've been kind of the same way in person. I'll, I've never, reached out to somebody in person and said, Hey, let's be on my show. Mm -hmm. I have reached out in person and say, Hey, let's start talking about maybe having you on the network because I'm part of a network called a gonna geek network. And I've done that before because it was like-minded people, similar shows, that sort of thing. So I have done that. And there's a whole process that happens there. So it's not a, Hey, let's do this thing. And then the next time you meet, you're on the network. There's actually a whole process bringing somebody on a network. So a little bit different. I have not ever found a guest or another podcast from the network on Craigslist before. So bravo (laughs) there. That's pretty cool. That I have because there are, you know, there's the musician community on Craigslist. So it's a good source. I've met some good people on Craigslist that they're just musicians that are out there trying to play music. What do you play? You say you're in a band. What do you play? I played drums primarily, but I've also started learning like guitar and bass. And I've been playing those for a couple of years. I wouldn't say that I'm a guitarist or a bassist, and I definitely wouldn't tell anybody that I play those instruments, but I've been learning them. But yes, primarily I'm a drummer. If you were drumming when you were growing up, did your parents hate you? When I was growing up, I started playing music when I was like five at the request of my grandfather. Okay. And I started playing church organ. And so that was the first instrument that I started to learn on. And then after a few years of that, my mom wanted to switch me to piano. So I started learning piano. And then when I was a teenager is when I started playing drums in junior high. And then I started in drumline. And then I just haven't stopped. See, when I was in grade school and high school, I played band. I played trumpet. And... I had friends that played percussion 
And I had several friends whose parents actually made a soundproof room in their basement for them to play just because, you know, percussion can be a little monotonous and grating to listen to, especially as somebody is practicing when it's only the percussion, right? Yeah. Uh, there were definitely some, uh, pretty long faces the first time I brought home a a drum kit that I bought. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, well, I kind of went through the same thing because my son plays hockey and he came, well, he didn't come home, but he insisted on playing goalie. So, you know, that's, that's the the bane of a hockey parent. It's like, Oh no, you want to be goalie. Oh no. (laughs) So not only is your kid, the weird kid that's playing goalie, but also you're now the goalie parent. So it's the whole stigma with that. (laughs) Sure. It was fun. So what have you done to improve your podcast since you started? So when I first started doing my podcast, for the most part, the format has maintained what it is. However, when I first started doing it, I would come on, do, you know, a quick, like, minute and a half just like oh hey i got another podcast for it or i got another interview ready kind of video and then just tack it on to the beginning of it i stopped doing that because i found that the workflow between recording it editing it and then getting it published was much more smoother when i just kind of uh canned a little theme song for it and then just went right into the interview so I feel like that has kind of helped my process. I don't necessarily know if it has made my, the podcast better, but I was never a fan of my my little intros that I did. So I guess I think it's better. <laughs> well, we always improve over time. You basically started during the pandemic. Was this a pandemic project? So I started right at the end of 2019. I did my first two interviews in... Uh, like November of 2019. And then the pandemic happened. Everybody got locked in, in their homes. And so when I first started, I actually went to the person and recorded them live. And so uh, it was much more of like a journalistic endeavor where I would bring, you know, a nice microphone that I could hook up into my phone. And then I would actually go and ask them questions live. When the pandemic happened, I I kind of had to pivot from that because I had to figure out how to do it from a distance. And then once I kind of figured out everything, how to do it, I just started putting out the posts on social media. And it's just like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Throughout the various waves that I've put out to find people, you know, I've changed my messaging a little bit to try and target the people that I'm going to get, weed out people that I put language in there that I know will weed out people that are just going to flake out. So you've gone back to interviewing in person now, right? Um, No, I haven't. And I'm not entirely sure that I will. Okay. So you connect via some sort of program. Is it like Skype or zoom or something? I use Facebook messenger and then I have a live. Well, I just have basically the ability to put that signal directly into my audio workstation so i just record the signal directly from facebook messenger from my phone what program do you use as a daw i use pro tools pro tools nice one of the og good daws yeah that have been around for quite some time the very first podcast that i was on it was not mine it was somebody else's they were using pro tools and i didn't know what that was back then but now i do and i'm like oh (laughs) yeah he recorded multi-track through uh, Firewire at the time. He had a mix, a $10,000 mixer with Firewire that was able to do multi-track. Sure. You know, now we're able to do it in the hundreds of dollars. Still, still not cheap, but... So one of the other things that I always promote on my podcast whenever the, we approach the topic is uh, on Reddit, there's a subreddit called Bedroom Bands. And basically, it's just people that have their own recording studio set up in their home, apartment, bedroom, whatever. And they all get together on that subreddit and just collaborate and make music over the internet. So I like to promote that because that's kind of in, in alignment with my goal of getting musicians to kind of find their audience kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't think about that. So I talk to other podcasters, so they all have microphones and ways to connect and record and that sort of stuff. 
You're mm-hmm. going with musicians, which oddly enough, the very first podcast that I was talking about was actually a musician. That's why he had the gear that he had. Sure. But they, musicians generally have audio gear. They're not necessarily streaming it, but they do have audio gear. So they are familiar with it at least. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, there's obviously uh, still a significant gap there that they have instruments, but don't necessarily have the ability to record or for whatever reason, aren't interested in it. Cause there's a couple of people that I've interviewed that are uh, cruise line musicians. And oh. so they spend, you know, half of the year out at sea. They don't really have a use for a, a recording studio in their bedroom or apartment or whatever, or if they even have an apartment that they lease year round. So there's situations like that, but yeah, for the most part, people are able to record, but that kind of comes as a double-edged sword as well, because if they do have the ability to record, sometimes they'll offer to like send me their audio files. And half the times when they make that offer, they never actually end up sending me their audio files. <laughs> so it's hit or miss. Yeah. The, the whole cruise ship thing is very interesting because before the pandemic and before norovirus, actually, so that's pre-pandemic, we <laughs> always used to tell the kids, go off and be you know, whatever, go down to Disney and work in Disney world as, uh, whatever they call them. I, I forget what the name was. Somebody that works at Walt Disney world or somebody that works on a cruise ship, you know, go see the, if you can't figure out what you're going to do, go see the world. So my son took me up on that. And one summer he went to work on an American, I believe it was American cruise lines. Uh, that was a coastal cruise line up and down the East coast of the United States. He lasted, I don't know, 10 days before he actually got off the ship, went to the local airport and waited overnight to catch a flight home. <laughs> sure, <laughs> he, yeah. he just got off the ship, uh, told the captain I'm leaving, left. And, and that was, it. <laughs> it was like, okay, so I guess that wasn't for you. He's like, I wasn't going to see anything. I did. It was all below deck stuff. Yeah. I, they weren't going to let me off to see anything. I'm like, okay, well, I guess. Yeah, That's what I've, it heard, is. I've heard in some of those situations, uh, people that work on cruise lines, you know, they're stuck on the boat for, you know, seven out of nine days if they even get the other two to get off. So I, it's definitely a hard life. And he was also disappointed with how many hours he was working per day. He had no his himself time, self time, whatever. <laughs> he had no personal time. So he had some issues there. But I would guess musicians, their sole focus on the boat is entertainment. So they're only working during their entertainment periods. I believe that that's true, but I think that also kind of depends on the nature of why the musician is on the cruise. So there's some cruises that specifically book musicians to entertain for the evening. But if you're an employee of the cruise line company, I think you're playing six, seven hours out of the day in like a lounge or something like that. So I think it depends on what your like contracted involvement with the cruise is. Well, I would volunteer to be a (laughs) podcast entertainer on a cruise ship. I wouldn't be any good as an entertainer because I, podcast about podcasting but- I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of podcast cruise uh my brother is going on a star trek cruise right. in the next couple of days <laughs> i'm sure there's some sort of podcast cruise i am jealous of the crew that is going on the spacex starship trip around the moon because oh, it's sure. just average people right one at least one i think there's one YouTuber, Everyday Astronaut, Tim Dodd, I think is his name. He's going to document cool. everything. But I was like, a podcaster needs to go. There's not a pod, there's a YouTuber. There's not a podcaster. So I keep on volunteering, saying, hey, I'll go up there and I'll podcast for it. There's like a TikTok, there's several TikTok, there's influencers, but then there's sure. also like other artists. I think there's a musician or two that's going. So I mean, there. It's, it's marketing and just like anything else, they're trying to, you know, get the right people up there to, you know, broadcast it, get people to notice it. It's, it's probably not long before some podcaster goes up. I'm personally thinking they're throwing up people that are non-essential. So in case something happens, (laughs) it's like, whoops, we'll we'll do better next time. They're the new age monkeys in space. (laughs) Or, or like the, the dog, the Russian dog that went up to. Sure. Sure. 
So if you could have told yourself one thing to make it easier to start podcasting from before you started, what would you have told yourself? I guess it wouldn't have been anything technical. It would have just been uh, just trust the format. Because what I've found is the way that I do the interviews. So I do really short interviews. They're only about 20 minutes. And if they even get that long. And part of it is because I want it to be something that's that's very fluent. It doesn't take up a lot of time for whoever's listening to it. So it moves along quick. And whoever does kind of get in the groove of moving one episode to another can kind of trust that format. Early on, and it, it sort of crops up every time like I start a new wave where I kind of slip a little in the asking questions part. And then I kind of have to get back up to speed and you know get back into the, the mind space of being the interviewer. So that probably would be the advice I would tell myself is to just trust the format. Don't worry about the questions. Just kind of lean into the conversation as it comes. How much do you remind yourself to listen when you're doing the interview? I guess not too much. Since the entire point of it is to get the person to talk and to express, I kind of sometimes I'll even let a lull in conversation happen to get them to try to break the awkward silence and then just edit it out and post. So I try my best using those types of tricks to get the person to talk and to let them express themselves. We already kind of covered this, but I, I want to double tap it because it's something that comes up all the time. I'm a moderator over on the R podcasting subreddit and I see all these posts and usually there's a post about how can you successfully grow your show, right? So how would you tell somebody that's less experienced than you? How would you tell them to grow their show? That I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to grow my own show. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not very good at the, the self-promotion or things like that. When I do put out the episodes, like it, it's probably not as much energy put into it as what it should be. But it's, it's the amount of energy that I think it needs without being overbearing. Because I don't want to annoy people by constantly being like, hey, listen to my podcast. Listen, listen to my podcast. <laughs> Are you know, and, and it's the same thing with the music too. Whenever I put out a new song or album or anything, like I don't want to pester people to be like, "Oh, well, listen to my music, listen to me, pay attention to me." <laughs> so I lean back on that, and I don't, I don't push that promotion probably as much as I should. So I wouldn't very easily be able to tell somebody else or even my earlier self how better to grow their podcast. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like in order to maintain a sustainable podcast for yourself, you mm -hmm. want to keep it fun and light and keep that passion in there. That's kind of why you do seasons right there mm -hmm. to regenerate. So you're not putting a heck of a lot of effort into, I have to grow. I have to grow. It's just for the passion and the fun of doing the podcast and, and trying to connect people to their, their audience. That's what's really driving you. You're not looking for a thousand downloads per episode or anything. You're just looking to go through the process. And then the other thing I would say is consistency because you're doing basically seasons is what you're doing. You're doing seasons and you're taking some time off and you're coming back doing season, taking time off. So in my opinion, after 180 episodes, that's consistent. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good way to look at it. It is very consistent and it is very much about the musician that's being interviewed. And as I've stressed a few times in this discussion already, uh, that, that is the focus of it. So as much as, you know, it is manifest brutality and it leans on that name for the branding of it, the goal of it is not necessarily to promote that solely. It, it, it is about the musician that I've interviewed. So you're driving around downtown Minneapolis and then you, you just find yourself, you, you, you pop into this thing. It's, it's a pop-up podcast convention. I didn't know you're, mm -hmm. you're in there and you're in there with a lot of other podcasters. 
and they're asking each other questions. And one of the questions that comes up is, do you have any advice for the rest of us on, you know, anything that you've learned on podcasting that you'd want to pass on to somebody else? Sure. So in addition to Manifest Vitality, I do co-host another podcast uh, that my brother started called Is This Place Trash? And the concept that he came at me with it was basically looking at reviews of businesses and determining whether or not they are valid reviews or invalid reviews. When he came to me with this concept, I didn't exactly know what to think of it. So my response to him was, okay, before we even record you know, a single episode, you need to plot out what the format of this is. What sections are they? You know, what is the business? What is the history of the business? And then, you know, some stats upon, you know, what the reviews are. I've read a few reviews and then we'll kind of close it out with, you know, what recommendations or things like that are. So the reason that I bring that up is when you're starting a podcast, my advice would be first set up your program program what your formatting is going to be like. And by that, I mean, what is your intro? What is your first, you know, few minutes? What is the next few minutes? And then how are you flowing from section to section of the podcast? Set that stuff up, that stuff up. Nextly would be record several episodes before you release one. And the reason for that is it gives you a good kind of sounding board to listen back at different content that you'd be creating to determine what about it you liked and what about it you want to change and then go back and change those things in those episodes. And then once you have those to a point that you like, your formatting is consistent, then release a few at a time and then hit your regular cadence. And the reason for that is when you first do your release, if people like it, there's a couple other episodes that they can listen to right away. And then your regular release cadence. So I guess that would be my general advice for somebody that wants to start a podcast. Have you looked into how to podcast education at all? Because that sounds like familiar advice to come <laughs> up that with that all on your own. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, I've been producing music for about 10 years. And so when you, when you start to produce a song or an album, you have to envision what the target is and where you want it to go, what the end of it is going to look like. And so when I started podcasting, I just applied that logic uh, to production to essentially making an episode of, you know, basically conversational content. And so I guess my philosophy about the Manifest Vitality podcast isn't necessarily that I'm putting out a podcast so much as I'm putting out, I'm producing audio that just happens to be a podcast. So when you said, is this place trash? I thought the podcast was going to be all about Iowa. (laughs) Uh, No, 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 it's not. We haven't gone to any, any place in Iowa yet anyway. For those that don't know, Minnesota and Iowa have a little rivalry going on between the two of them. That's what we're we're talking about here. However, I will say that I used to listen to this podcast called Curiosity Daily, and it used to be hosted by Cody Goff and Ashley Hamer. They did a segment in an episode, it might have been an entire episode, about the science of reviews. Like They were looking at Amazon reviews, and there is scientific data over what constitutes a, a actual review from a mm-hmm. human and what doesn't or, or a paid review or whatever. I'll have to find that episode and send you the link because it is indeed good stuff that the podcast is not hosted by Cody and Ashley mm-hmm. anymore. To be honest, discovery kind of stepped in it a little bit and made it something that I personally don't like, but that's actually along those lines. We do go into you know, statistical analysis, a little bit like that. So we do analyze whether or not the review, it, we believe it to be valid and whether or not, or whether or not we find it to be some sort of guerrilla marketing tactic kind of thing. I'm very skeptical of a lot of things. So I think a lot of them are fake. 
but my brother has when he built out the website for it he wanted it to be very statistical and analytical so the website for it has all of the analysis and data about how the places and reviews are statistically analyzed for the episode okay well i'll send you the link anyway maybe sure. maybe yeah. it'll help maybe not i don't know what is one so you've done 180 episodes over the course of three or four years what is one of your it doesn't have to be the what is one of your favorite moments from your entire show well so it wasn't necessarily a moment from my show so much as something that kind of came out of it and uh favorite might not be the right term but memorable is probably correct so very early on, maybe the second or third season that I did, I put out uh, one of my regular posts for guests, and this female reached out. I don't, I don't know her age, so I'll just say she was a female. I don't know if she was a girl or a lady is where I was going with that. <laughs> anyway, she reached out to me and said that she thought her husband would be a good fit for an interview. And so I gave him a chance. Typically, that's not the sort of arrangement that I like because I prefer the musician themselves reach out to me. But I gave him a chance, and it turned out to be a very interesting interview. A very good guy. He was a musician, a very good one. And they were in a local band to Minneapolis here. And after a few months after the interview came out, the guy died, and the lady just started posting like all of the stuff from their lives that they had the time they spent together, everything that they went through together, just not like uh, an episode of, you know, release, <laughs> releasing all of her emotions kind of thing. It was very respectful the way that she trickled out their memories, just kind of uh, keeping his memory alive. And that sticks with me because of how, dedicated she was to their music because she was in his band too and how interesting he was the name was uh dylan emelianoff and it was a really good interview i think about it a lot and just the impact that that had amazing yeah that brought back memories to myself of other podcasters that have left us and are no longer with us right now that i have interacted with in the past so yeah that that would be very special I've heard of cases of family members reaching out to podcast companies to try to find the podcast that's no longer online because, you know, st somebody stopped paying the bill or something like that. So the audio files is lost and they just want to hear their voice again. Sure. And uh, I think that's, that's pretty, pretty special. So way to go. Man. Yeah. It was nice. Definitely memorable. Yeah. Talking about that with the podcast industry and podcast hosting, you're on the on the fringe and and probably just going through the chug and plug but do you have any comments on the podcasting industry as a whole well i think it's so having having been part of a podcast a decade ago it has changed a lot and one of the inspirational kind of standard for podcasts that i like and that is my kind of target for informational conversational podcasting is the stuff you should know podcast and the way that they have their format and the way that they analyze their topics and everything like that. I find to be the target standard for what I would like from a podcast. So moving from there, and where we are now podcasting, it very much is kind of approaching that oversaturation where there's not enough time in the day to listen to all the podcasts that are being made and published. And then there's so many different uh, registries and directories and uh, hosts and you name it. There's everything out there about podcasting the way there is about every other emerging industry. And then Without naming names, there's also companies out there that are trying to leech off of that, be parasitic to it, to make money off of it, off of uh, somebody wanting to make a podcast. They're going to find a way to try to make a dollar off of that. They, so 
those companies emerge and it's just like any other industry. There's always going to be somebody trying to figure out a way to make money off of somebody else's hard work or dream or research, whatever it may be. Okay. That's uh, kind of a similar attitude that I have from a hobbyist perspective, because there is this podcasting industry out there a few years ago, it just went nuts with uh, big business investment. You had uh, Spotify, I believe buyout Gimlet. I, I believe that was one thing that happened. There was a big buyout of anchor mm-hmm. and angered a lot of the other companies that were out there for a long, long time, yeah. companies like, I don't know, Blueberry, Libsyn, whatever, they're like, where's my payday? I mean, why did you go with Anchor? Why didn't you go with us? We know a lot more about podcasting right. sort of thing. Anyway, so big industry came in. They're retracting right now a little bit because of the recession, but a little bit because it was unrealistic and they didn't really understand the space. It was the classic big business. I'm going to acquire things until mm-hmm. I figure this thing out. And I'm, unfortunately it just wasn't going to work. So from that perspective, I totally agree with you that there are people that are just trying to come in and make their millions basically mm-hmm. from now where a lot of the groundwork was done by a lot of people, hard work yeah. over the course of 15, 20 years. And now you have have uh, these venture capitalists coming in and just capitalizing on it. Yeah. And it's, it's not just the, the software side of it either, like the distribution or recording, anything like that. If you go out to uh, Facebook, I don't know, the Facebook marketplace and look for uh, podcast or studio, podcast recording studios, you'll, you'll find people renting by the hour, you know, their $50,000 podcast studio that they set up specifically to get people in charge rent and get them out the door. Yeah. That's been going on for quite some time. No guy in St. Louis that's been doing that for a while. Matter of fact, they have a podcast studio in a car that they'll bring out. They actually built it in to an old uh, VW bug and they will bring it out and, and, uh, actually podcast out the trunk or hood i guess of, of those VW i, I bugs. didn't know that but i'm not surprised about it <laughs> i think the network if i'm not mistaken i don't know if it's around anymore or not because i haven't checked on it lately it was two guys talking they also have an actual podcast studio but they've been doing a full service thing for a lot of other people our hobby podcasters just want to come in and talk they sure. don't want to bother with the editing or the producing or have the audio equipment or whatever now, I, I can't talk to their rates. I know that there are some podcast studios in big cities. Like there was some big announcements like in Boston and stuff a few years ago. But uh, I think those were very, very expensive because you're talking about rent for wherever you are yeah. in addition to the gear and the, the expertise and possibly uh, the production time or editing mm-hmm. time behind it and stuff like that. So I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of part of it's it's a service that can be provided to people depending on how much they want to pay for their hobby or passion i guess and to me when i see those sorts of things it it just feels kind of scummy because it feels like they're just trying to get a hook in to if if somebody out there has a, a true desire and ambition and good content to make a podcast but they don't have the means to record it or produce it it seems to me, and I'm very, again, I'm very skeptical, uh, that it just seems like a way to hook them and get money out of them. There is such a low barrier to entry with podcasting that mm. to me, it's like, okay, you get a Samsung QTU and you throw it in the USB into your laptop or your tablet or whatever, yeah. which you already have. You have some sort of device, even if it's a smartphone, that you then can record, yeah. edit, and then produce your own stuff. Yeah, it it seems, but again, it's tight. Some people either don't have the time, like may, maybe they're a businessman and they're using it as an advertisement source or something like that. So I, I sure. could see them paying for that sort of thing. Well, I saw some statistic uh, late last year about how like 80% of podcasts fail after like three or four episodes and never release another one. There is the dreaded, it used to be seven episodes. I've, I've heard various different things. With Anchor, which is a free podcast host, it was actually driven up quite some time. It was actually a big news story a couple of weeks ago or months ago about it, 
about how many active podcasts there are versus how many podcasts started a couple of years ago. Some of that was because of the pandemic. Some of that was because of Anchor just allowing somebody to record a first episode and then publishing it. And then they never came back to do another episode or whatever. And then Anchor never pulled it. What another podcast media host that you pay for will do is if you stop paying for the show, they will pull the show. So your RSS feed goes away and then the podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, they don't take that feed anymore. So the podcast goes away. But with Anchor, it was perpetually there. So I think Anchor's instituted Spotify on Anchor's behalf because Spotify is the company that owns Anchor. I think they've instituted something to take that away. But it does still valid or it's validating your your uh, statistics of there's mm-hmm. an incredible amount of people that do one to seven episodes and then boom, that's it. Yeah. And then they don't go any further because either they lose the passion, their dynamic with their co-hosts goes away. They didn't know how much work it was going to be going to actually be. And yeah. they think it's, oh, I could be Joe Rogan. I can just show up and I can talk for three hours and everybody's going to come listen to me. And they find out that nobody's downloading their show because nobody cares. It's hard. Consistently generating content to talk about and then editing it and engineering it, getting it into uh, digestible content, and then also being able to stomach nobody listening to it. It's tough. And you got to be able to get through that. You got to be able to just steal yourself, understand that nobody's going to like what you do until some algorithm tells a bunch of people they should all like it. And you just, you have to be able to stomach that. Right. In this new age of social media that keeps you on their social media, their algorithm wants to emphasize their social media. They won't want to send you off board. I used to say that was just TikTok, but it's everybody now. It's not just TikTok. TikTok especially, but other social media is all, well, they don't, they don't want you to post your YouTube channel. They don't want to post your podcast link. Uh, so they'll de-emphasize that in the algorithm yeah. and they want you like Facebook. They want you to upload your audio or your video to Facebook. They don't want to send you somewhere else. They want to keep you on that platform. I understand that from a business perspective. Well, how, how are you going to click on Facebook's ads? If you get directed to YouTube and click on their ads, <laughs> <laughs> it's all ads. It's all ads. <laughs> Everything's ads. Uh, so Alex, We've talked for about an hour here and we've gone over several different things, but is there anything that you're thinking in terms of how to podcast or your podcasting experience that we haven't hit on that you want to tell the listeners? You know, not specifically. The last thing that we just kind of discussed about having the strength of will to muscle through that fall off period, I think looking back is probably the most important point of this whole conversation. For anybody that wants to podcast and is committed to the idea and the content that they have, they need to just have that moment of Zen that it's going to take time. And even if it takes years to even build a small following, it's going to take time and it might never happen. But that doesn't mean that your content or your opinion or your personality isn't valid. Couldn't have said it better myself. So Alec, our better podcasting audience has heard you for an hour. You're a likable guy and probably some people out there are looking for some new bands. Where is the best place that they can find your work? So all of my social media links are on my link tree. So just link tree manifest vitality, otherwise uh, manifest vitality on YouTube. And then if you search manifest vitality, podcast should come up i've pretty much nailed down the entire manifest vitality seo so if you google manifest vitality you will find my content in some form or another all right good to know well thank you for spending the last hour with me and i really appreciate you sharing your experiences absolutely thank you for having me And thank you for spending your time with Alex and me over the past hour. If you like content like this, please subscribe to the Better Podcasting YouTube channel and like this video. Or if you're listening to the audio version, give Better Podcasting Chats with SP a follow on your podcatcher app of choice. Stephen and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, tomorrow night, my co-host on Better Podcasting, Stephen and I, 
we'll be recording episode 44 of the Better Podcasting live chat show. For this show, Better Podcasting Chats with SP, next week I'll connect with Jeff Aking from the Babylon for the First Time podcast. In the meantime, join the podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. See everybody next time.